This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 115. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have an exciting and special guest. Her name is Jessica Moore-Jones, and she is the Director of Unleashed Coaching and Consulting. Welcome to the podcast, Jessica. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Tell the audience about yourself and what you do and your mission and all those things. I'm so excited. Sure, absolutely. I guess the short version of what I do at the moment is, is I run a little business that um, it's all about helping the people of the animal industry. So um, certainly when I was in my early career stages of being a veterinarian, I found that, you know, we're so good at what we do. We know so much and those technical elements of what we do with animals. We just, you know, nothing compares to how much we know. But I noticed really early on that I felt really underprepared for the people element. You know, I was sent out there as a new graduate veterinarian to just kind of, you know, deal with these massively complex people problems from, you know, grief counseling to trying to convince people to follow your instructions and, you know, comply with your plans through to, you know, suddenly being in a leadership position where nurses kind of, you know, need your direction and we're in those positions of responsibility. And what I realized quite quickly is I just thought we were woefully underprepared for that space. As I sort of have been out of, of vet school for much longer now, and I've gone through the process of managing shelters, I've, you know, run vet clinics in third world countries, I've, you know, been the CEO of an RSPCA, I've advised governments, and I continue to find that even now, while my, my, my people issues are getting a bit more complex as I'm doing them on a larger scale, it's still largely the people part that is the challenge in our industry. It's the reason that compassion fatigue is so difficult. Um, it's the reason that employees and, and veterinarians aren't often experiencing workplaces that are positive and that have a culture that we'd like to work in. Because frankly, a lot of our leaders are not people people either. They, they went into the vet school for the same reason we did. They like animals and not people. Isn't that amazing? Um, like we all, a lot of people say that it's like, we don't like people. So we became veterinarians and, exactly. and it's so misguided, you know, because most yeah. of our, most of what we do is with people. 100%. So my aim is to make people more interesting to animal people. <laughs> um, so I do that in a few ways, everything from helping leaders, coaching and mentoring leaders in that space of kind of really helping them understand what their people need from them, what their people want from them, how to create engaged and positive cultures, right through to I do um, training for organizations on how to get their clients to do what they're asking them to do, whether that's desex their pets or, you know, God forbid, even, you know, buy these things um, or for animal shelters, which I work with a lot. It's around how to encourage people to do the right things and, you know, you know, be responsible pet owners. And then lastly, and, and the part that, you know, really, really gels with me about what you do um, is that I really am passionate about helping vets find a career that they believe in again and that they're passionate about again because 
you know, the, there's no question that the sort of attrition rate in our industry is tragic. Um, yeah, that yeah. mental health pressures are immense. And I think that there sort of comes a time when a lot of vets feel that their choices are to stay in and burn out or to leave. And so I believe that there's an answer in helping people find the career that fits them. And look, maybe sometimes that is outside of the veterinary industry, but I genuinely believe that most of the time it's not. It might just be a slightly different approach to how you've been thinking about it, how, you know, what your role might look like exactly, the balance of your work and your life. And I'm just really passionate about trying to help people hopefully stay in the veterinary industry but feel really passionate about it again reignite why they wanted this in the first place without all those years of being worn down by the challenge of it and I think we would both agree that we need to change the profession and like you said the way we think about it the way we're passionate about it because I really think that the narrative of the veterinary profession has gotten away from us it, it's gotten to be this sad, stressful, terrible profession. And that's kind of how we talk about it. And that's yeah. one of the things that I want to change. I 100% agree. And don't get me wrong. I do believe that there are fundamentally some, some large scale industry wide challenges. And I do believe that there are some actions that our industry bodies need to be taking accountability for um, and I work with some industry bodies here trying to help them be more proactive in that space because sometimes proactive isn't quite in their vocabulary um, but I also believe that, that that us as the little guy has power in that too so whether that's you know you're a small business owner and how your team experience being a vet you have control over but also just as a personal individual you know I'm somebody who was the cliche you know I graduated as a yeah, fresh tell me that grad. story tell me your tell me your back your back <laughs> story that's what I want to hear sure. I was the absolute cliche I was a 15 year old girl who just thought if I did not get into vet school I was going to die you know I remember yeah. having an argument with my mother about having a backup plan and I didn't want a backup plan because <laughs> I thought my life would be over if I didn't right get yeah um, and so I was the cliche and I, I, I'm pretty traditionally type A vet personality. I want to do well. Um, and then I got out into the real world and went, well, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. Is that <laughs> Were you really wow. disillusioned right from the beginning? Do I was. Look, I, I mean, I, I was obviously in that statistic that didn't have an excellent first workplace experience and I didn't have a leader that these days I would um, uh, encourage new graduates to ask better questions Same. and all of those things that I just didn't <laughs> yeah. know as a young person. So, yes, I, I believe that my first workplace contributed to it. But um, what I really realised, honestly, is that three, six, nine months in, you know, the learning curve is amazing and you just... I feel like I learned Huge. more in that first six months than, you know, the entirety of vet school. And then, and then nothing, um, you know, and then I was like, oh, is, is this it? Um, and so I changed jobs and I thought that that would bring me some sort of more fulfillment. And I went and worked in welfare and I thought that that would bring me more fulfillment. And it did. Um, I did an MBA and I went down the management route. I spent a huge amount of time working in the South Pacific. You know, I ran shelters in the Cook Islands and I 
darted leopards and, you know, hung out of helicopters in Botswana. You know, I absolutely took my veterinary degree and ran for everything it was worth and all of the experiences it could get me in life. But what I still found was, frankly, that I was bored. Um, I could look at an afternoon consult list of vaccines, diarrhea and dermatology. And I, you know, I'm not somebody that gets anxiety attacks often, but I think I've had two in my life. And, you know, that kind of physiological reaction where you could hear your heart and your stomach feels like you've just gone over a giant hill in your car really fast. And, you know, you can you sort of hyperventilating and your whole body's tense and you're clammy. What would happen is that I would get that feeling but it wasn't about anxiety. It was looking at an afternoon list and being bored. And feeling unchallenged, huh? Yeah. And I, I, you know, I would call it my boredom anxiety. And what I realized is that just the idea of the same conversation 15 minutes at a time for the next 40 years of my career was just <laughs> not something that that was what I wanted. And so what I set out to do was create a life that I wanted um, and I did a lot of sort of vision work around if I were in my perfect self 10 years from now where would I be um, and then I worked about making it happen I guess so here I find myself um, you know running my own business and looking to try to drop to three days a week in the near future because I am pregnant with my first child oh congratulations um, thank you very much but that is, that's always been part of my plan as well. So I decided quite a few years ago that children was something that was absolutely a part of my life plan. I hadn't found somebody that I felt was the right person for me to do that with, but it was a non-negotiable for me. So I set about making a career that allowed me to do this by myself and, and follow the journey that I thought was authentic to me and felt like the things that I would feel fulfilled by and set about making them support each other as opposed to where I think we often find ourselves, which is, you know, I have to kind of compromise on one in order to have the other. Whereas, you know, and I know you talk a lot, Julie, about sort of work-life harmony rather than work-life balance. Yeah, because there's no such thing, right, as balance, I, I don't think. I think that there's always give and take. There's always decisions that we have to make one over the other. And um, I, I think a lot of times we think that if we change our circumstances, that we'll become happy. Like you said, you were, your first job wasn't right. Your second job wasn't mm -hmm. right. So you just kept doing all these amazing things, mm -hmm. which I want to hear more about, but, <laughs> but the amazing things didn't make your life. I mean, it might make it a little better because of your attitude towards it, but it really doesn't change the core problem unless you get to the mm -hmm. core problem. And it's exactly. usually the way we think about our life and, and mm -hmm. the way we experience it. So tell yeah. me about the baby decision. You know, how, how hard was that? Or did you just like move forward? What yeah, did look, you, I mean, that's an interesting know, story any... for, for people that are in that situation. Yeah, look, it wasn't an easy decision. And I am very happy to admit that I am more blessed than many who might want to consider this sorts of um, lifestyle choice in that I'm surrounded by incredibly liberal friends and a very supportive family and traditional lifestyle choices were never something that 
frankly, I don't think anybody ever really expected me to make traditional <laughs> lifestyle choices. So it was barely a it surprise. It doesn't sound like I... you're very traditional. It sounds like you're no. you're a free spirit for sure. Well, I mean, you know, I am perfectly mainstream in terms of all of the things I do and enjoy. I just don't, I believe that, you know, what I want out of my life is to make sure that when I'm you know, 60 or 80 or 120, and I'm looking back on my life, that I never have regrets of things I didn't do. Yeah. And I think that more than anything, you know, I genuinely believe the old cliche that we regret the things we didn't do more than the things we did. And when I was looking at what am I going to regret in my life, not having children because the right person to share that with didn't come along was just never an option for me. Yeah. So. And I agree with you. I used to talk about that when I was young with my mom, you know, because, because vet school is such a big investment of time mm-hmm. and many of the, your contemporaries go on to having their life after four years of college or whatever. And so many times that's a consideration for women that are going into the vet- veterinary profession is maybe they won't find a partner or, Um, you know, maybe they'll get too old before, you know, they find someone. And so I used to say that to my mom, I'm like, well, I'm going to have kids regardless, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just going to do it. You don't necessarily need a partner or a man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Modern science is a wonderful thing. We help animals do the same thing. That's just going through the process has been amusingly, uh, quite similar to uh, working in farm practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I love that. But that, but that's exciting. And that's, that's kind of a scary transition, I would think for someone like you, that's used to being so free. Yeah. And, and again, it, it's all about when you create that vision of, of what does your life look like? Um, there are compromises, as you say, you know, work-life balance isn't about, you know, you can just have one or the other. They always, are going to intertwine and the example I like to give so as I said I I work a lot with animal shelters animal welfare is just hugely you know my passion and if you work in a big shelter one of the biggest troubles I tend to find when I go in there um, is you'll have a veterinary team and you'll have a behavior team and the vet team is just determined to do the right thing by the health of the animal and the behavior team constantly at odds with that because they're like well no you you can't do that because you know you need to muzzle this dog and you haven't muzzle desensitized it and you know or those eardrops are really stressing the dog out you need to stop doing those or injections are really painful we need to take time and work up to that and the vets are like no time for that (laughs) yeah pretty much and so there's this constant kind of assumption that behavior and health just work against each other and that they have to be enemies all the time and one of the things that I really enjoy doing in shelters is really showing people that those two things when they work together actually make each other better and if you are emotionally healthier whether you're a dog in a shelter or whether you're a human being your physical health is tied to that and you know and vice versa and don't get me wrong there are times when you just have to do what you have to do. And, you know, if we're sticking with the shelter anecdote that, you know, sometimes you just have to do something mean to save their life, despite that that might reverse some behavioral stuff. And sometimes you have to make choices. But for the most part, if you can get those things to not only kind of integrate, but actually support each other, I believe I will be a better mother 
because of the things I know from my career. And I believe I am better at my career because of my personal choices. And I think that this kind of approach where it went from used to talk about work-life balance and we talk still, you know, and we've progressed from that to those things need to integrate. I would really like to see us go, where do those things actually make each other stronger? How can we build on them? Mm -hmm. Build up our career and also build up our family life to make everything better. Absolutely. And even in, you know, the simplest sense, if, you know, we, in terms of the gender kind of gap and some of the things that the reason that so many women are struggling in this profession now, and, you know, that the attrition rate is higher amongst women. And, you know, of all of the people who are, you know, I think the um, British Veterinary Association did a big study and they do one every five years. And at the moment, of all of the people who are on a career break from the veterinary profession, 60% of the males are on a career break because they're looking into new career challenges and new opportunities. And 60% of the women who are on a career break are in that position because of families. And I think that's great. I I mean, clearly I'm going to be taking a break as well. And I'm absolutely, you know, not worried about that. Obviously it has implications, but I've taken some time to set myself up for those. But I think what I would love to see us do is stop thinking of, women having to take a career break to have a family and start looking at women are learning new skills and developing a whole different part of themselves um, which makes them more fulfilled and if we can capitalize that in the workplace and if we can amend our kind of prehistoric work structures that were built around (laughs) the 1950s profession where we were 90 percent men Absolutely. Then actually, it doesn't have to be a bad thing that women want time off and they should be entitled to that and they should be proud of that. We should be starting to build a system where that's a great thing for everybody wins when we create more community. Yeah, there's so much guilt wrapped around that, I think. You know, I mean, obviously, there's more women now in this profession, at least in the US, and I'm assuming it's the same where you are. There's so many more women veterinarians Mm -hmm. than when I got out of school, you know, 30 years ago. Um, But the, the profession, the way that we build our hospitals and arrange our schedules, and it doesn't Mm -hmm. really account for that, you know, like even Mm -hmm. my hospital, we're open till six or seven at night. Well, that doesn't go along with daycare hours. And, you know, and Mm -hmm. that was always a challenge when my kids were little. And I think that just taking the gender of the profession into consideration when we make our practices and make our Mm -hmm. rules and it is really something that we have to start doing more of. And I see it happening here, but I just don't think it's fast enough. And I think that's why so many of us are, you know, stressed out and burned out and driven away (laughs) from the profession. And, you know, we're letting the clients dictate when we're supposed to be there rather than us dictating it. And, you know, and human medicine doesn't do that. You know, they, they don't here's when we're here, come in or don't. <laughs> exactly. You know, you need our emergency services, clinics, sure, we need emergency clinics and there are people that have to work there, but even those, the way we arrange our hours can be adjusted. So mm-hmm. people can have families and raise families and, um, and not feel guilty about it. You know, I remember yeah. being off for maternity leave and just feeling so guilty and it's, it's changing, but it's still not there. 
Yeah, and, and I, d- I definitely agree with you. I think she, things are definitely changing for the better. But as you you say, it's it's changing slowly. And and in a lot of places, it is still lip service. It is, oh, yeah, we, we have flexible working hours here. Or, yes, you can work part-time, but or by the way, that's incredibly inconvenient for us. <laughs> um, so my business structure and my con- the employment contract for my team, we all work a 24-hour week. Um, and you can choose to spread that across five days during school hours, or you can do three days, full days. Um, we have options of, so we, when you sign a contract, you can choose whether you want two community service days where you can volunteer in an animal related charity, or you can choose four sick kids days, which basically means we expect you to work approximately 50% of the hours that we'll pay for because we know you're going to be home with your sick kids and you might be doing stuff, but you're probably not going to be as productive. So we've built in systems around not just lip service to, yeah, we're flexible. We actually want people to want to work for us when they have a family because not only are we inclusive and making that easy, we believe that that brings value to the organization and people want a village these days as somebody who's about to become a single mother all by myself having a village around you of people is so liberating you know we've created communities in the 21st century where we've never been more isolated and so if you can have a business which don't get me wrong you know employees and employer relationship is important but when people feel that they can be part of your village. Um, people, that, that's so powerful. And sure, I'm, I'm of course very aware that I'm in a unique position to be able to offer that. And that, you know, when you've got clients who want to book in at certain times, it's not always as easy as yeah. that. But we have to start somewhere. And you have to start with genuinely meaning it, not just paying lip service to being flexible and female friendly. Yeah, I've always had the attitude in my practice that the family comes first. And that's challenging when you have a busy work environment where you need doctors to see clients. But it's also it's also so important because your life goes by so fast. And I Mm -hmm. think people don't realize that when they have small children or even, you know, children that are preteens and teenagers is that time is fleeting. And if you don't really spend some effort to be present during that time, you, it will go by so fast and you mm-hmm. will miss it. And for some reason, early on in my career, I realized that that was important, even though I wanted to be a practice owner, I wanted to, you know, have children and be a really great mom and try to create that balance, whatever that means. Um, and so I had that awareness that I didn't want to miss anything. And I rarely did, but I still worked very, very hard. And I think there's, you know, there's that attitude that if I work 24 hours a week, I don't have to, it, it feels easy, but it really isn't because if you mm-hmm. spend your time during those 24 hours, really focused on work, and then those other 24 hours focused on your family, <laughs> that it's really going to create that life that you want and may yeah. not be easy. And it isn't, um, you know, guaranteed when you have that baby, you'll find out. Oh, yes. I'm in <laughs> for know, many, many, many shops. You think, the, you think the jungles were hard. 
Yeah, but I guess from my perspective, and you know, I am someone. I was a CEO at thirty. I, you know, have been ambitious my whole life, and I have been somebody who desperately wants to, you know, have a career that is meaningful. But I guess for me, again, I see that as not a conflicting emotion, but that's when I kind of choose what do I want to leave behind in the world? It's about value. I want to leave behind value and I want to enjoy the outcomes of that value. And so when I'm choosing, you know, between children or um, a leadership role or my own hobbies or, you know, clinical practice, the choices that I make, I'm not really basing them on what do I want to do right now or how hard is that right now? I base it around what do I believe is going to bring the most value to my life right now? And so that I think really helps me clarify, you know, when I kind of tell my employer, you know, if I'm at a contract and I say, nope, sorry, I will be leaving at this time, I have an IVF appointment. To me, it's about what I'm doing with this client is incredibly meaningful where, you know, saving an extra thousand cats a year by turning around the euthanasia rate here. But what value am I taking away from today? I'm going to my IVF appointment. And so I think when when we're trying to balance, you know, those patients do need us right now and our employer needs something from us and we want to have meaningful relationships outside of work with our friends or with our partners or whatever that looks like. I think as long as you're starting to prioritise the value you bring to the world and the value that brings back to you, it becomes easier to make those choices. It becomes easier to prioritise you know, for me, it, for the last decade, it has been working my absolute butt off so that I was creating value and putting out there in the world, partly because of I believed in the value I was creating, but partly as well because I wanted to get to this point where now I am creating a whole different set of. Well, of, you, of had, you had to create the foundation for what mm-hmm. you're trying to build, right? And so there is that sense of delayed gratification that you can't always have it exactly when you want it, but you're working towards a goal. And that that planning and that thinking and that attitude that this is something that's so important that I'm going to make sure that I get it right. And I'm going to make sure that I have this company running the way I want it. So when that baby comes, I can do what I need to do to to start that part of your life. And I exactly. I think that's that's really fascinating how you thought that all through and and decided on purpose what you wanted to do I am a planner (laughs) but I also think you know as you say you can't always have it exactly when you want it I also think that that's an important message around you can't always exact have it exactly how you imagined it would be I think that's the perfect example of that of (laughs) of we we have this vision in our heads of what veterinary careers are going to be like and frankly it's kind of not and for me of course I didn't go into my 20s thinking I was going to be choosing to have a baby by myself I of course I had the very traditional sense of I'd have well and truly married with babies and a mortgage and all of those things right now but I think that that's you know just the same as our veterinary career we need to look at our mindset and go am I trying to force this vision of what I had in my head onto a world that doesn't exist or can I take what I need from the world give back in equal measure and create a different vision that doesn't have to fit into any box or into any 
you know, I literally went out and created my own role because these were the things that I wanted out of my life. And, you know, anybody can do that. And I'm not saying that anybody should go out and just start a business because it's taken me many it's years. It's hard, right? It's hard work. Yeah. It is. But I think that if you start from a place of what do I want in 10 years? And then you start building blocks backwards and you're really clear about the non-negotiables in your vision, but how flexible you're willing to be on the rest of it. I think that's how we start creating career trajectories that are really meaningful. And we always have something that we're fulfilled because we're working towards, you know, we in the veterinary profession, you kind of get out, you've done your learning curve of being a new grad, and then you're going, well, I guess I could do memberships which are really hard and cost me lots of money to specialize. I don't get paid heaps more for having done it. And I don't know if it's the case in, in the US, but in Australia, you can't be registered as a specialist if you're working less than 24 hours. So you can't be a part-time specialist. So for women particularly, you're almost choosing between specialism and family. And so we kind of get to, well, do I want to be a manager? Oh, not really, but I guess maybe practice management or, you know, ownership is, is the logical next step. And to me, that's kind of the same as when people get married because it's the logical next step, you know, <laughs> not necessarily the one doing it for the wrong reasons, skill. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's all about having a vision of what you really think would make you fulfilled, remembering that it's your job to make yourself fulfilled, not external factors. Um, but then working out what are the steps to get there? And it's not going to happen tomorrow. Um, and it might not look exactly how you pictured, but sometimes it's better. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's so important to think of it that way that this isn't exactly how I thought of it. This isn't exactly what my life plan was, but as things come and, you know, making the best choices that you can, and then possibly we have a hard time letting ourselves be okay with that. If the mm -hmm. choice isn't exactly what we wanted and we have to change course again, or we change our mind, like you changed your mind several times. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all okay. That's just part of life's journey. And, and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed yeah. to, you know, continue to pursue that happiness that sometimes, yeah. you know, seems fleeting. And, and a, most of the time that comes from within, you know, I truly believe that you can be happy in any situation. It's just more of the mind work that you need to do, but also getting the things out of life that you want. And that, and that's what you did. You built your yeah. business and then you decided that you're going to have a baby. And, you know, that's just so exciting. <laughs> it is the, the, the way that you know I don't know if the analogy will, will quite translate so well to over there but I think it's sort of the same so obviously one side of our very large country we have Sydney and Melbourne and the other side of our very large country we have Perth and in the middle is you know a very very long sort of six day straight drive across what we call the Nullarbor Desert so of course I know you have New York and you have LA at the other side so it sort of works in terms of the same analogy yeah. but the way I sort of put it is okay well let's say we're in Sydney and we want to get to Perth you do have to have a map you do have to know where Perth is. You do have to know what Perth looks like. You have to have a plan. You have to have set out a course. And that's really, really important because otherwise you'll just end up driving around the motorway in Sydney, going round and round in rings and still be in Sydney in 12 years time. Right. 
but that doesn't mean that along the way you couldn't get halfway there and go, oh my God, I love this little town in the middle of the Nullarbor. I think I want to stay a few years. Or, hey, actually, there's rocks up that way. I've always wanted to see that. Maybe I should try that. Or in fact, I've never heard of that thing. Sounds interesting. Let's give it a go. Now, whether you end up in Perth or not, doesn't really become that relevant. It's the journey you took. And I know that sounds a little cliched, but you do have to have a plan and you do have to have a vision for where you're going, but you've also got to be open to life's diversions and oops, there's a roadblock there. And, you know, oops, you know, oops, I took a wrong turn and either get yourself on track or decide, actually, I really like it here. This is totally fine by me. Um, and yeah, I, I think I'm sure there are plenty of lovely road stops on the way from New York to California as well. Well, that, that, that's kind of a metaphor for everything, right? In life is you don't always, it doesn't always go the way that you planned it, but if you can convince yourself or just open yourself up to enjoying it, then it's going to be so much easier than fighting it. You know, I think that's what we do so often, even, you know, in just a regular practice setting or in your animal shelter setting is we fight reality. You know, emergency comes in, we didn't expect, but we were supposed to leave early. And, and we fight that reality rather than just saying, oh, this is an interesting twist of fate. Now, how can I make this work? And how can yeah. I, you know, still do what I wanted to do, but still take care of whatever it is that, that has mm -hmm. that roadblock that's come up. And it sounds like, go I'm ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. What? Which is sort of particularly because those emergencies at the end of the day tend to be the most interesting parts of your job. You know, we, we all went into vet school thinking we were going to be saving lives and blood and gore. <laughs> and actually most of your normal day is vaccines and diarrhea. It's not that, you know. Yeah, you're right. So when we get frustrated by that 655 emergency, we're failing to go, this is quite fun. <laughs> this is kind of why I did this. Yes, the timing's a little off. But this is actually part of what I love about this career mm -hmm. um, because we're so busy, as you say, fighting the reality, deciding that this is inconvenient and gosh, I hate my career now because I'm stuck here until eight o'clock. We've forgotten to go. When I was a 22 year old vet student, this was my dream come true to be stuck mm -hmm. here at 8 p.m., you know, opening a pregnant bitch, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, that's so fascinating because if you really do think back, like you said, you would have killed to get into this profession and so would have I. And that was my whole focus, you know, my whole time as a child and a teenager and, you know, even when I went away to college. And I think we really forget that. And we forget that if you change careers or go to another job, you're just swapping out one problem for another because I'm sure, you know, when you're in practice, there's all these problems, but then if you're going to become a CEO of your own company, you're swapping <laughs> out for a whole new set of problems, financial problems, decision-making problems, employee issues. There's all those things. And I think that we think that it's the profession's fault and it isn't always. It's just the way we choose to look at it. I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, I've had a conversation with a few staff members over the years who kind of consistently believe that, you know, people are picking on them or that, you know, all of their jobs have been horrible or all of their bosses are horrible. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure in some of those situations they have been right. But there does come a point where you go, 
when you leave a job, you know, and as somebody who's moved continents, you know, I lived at one point in seven continents, uh, six continents in six years. Oh Lord, um, we need to we need to go through those stories. <laughs> that'll that'll be the next podcast. <laughs> but you know, you can sort of. Um, I forgot totally where I was going with that. Oh, I'm sorry. You were talking about changing circumstances yeah. and trying so to change you, you, your situation by changing your circumstances. Yeah. So you can move countries, you can move jobs, but honestly, you take yourself with you. <laughs> um, and unless you have changed, your new workplace might have one or two better things, but frankly, they're going to have one or two worse things too. You know, every place has goods and bads. So you might go, oh, I'm going to choose this job because I can have more flexible working hours. But actually, once you start working there, yeah, they're more flexible, but actually it's a toxic culture. Or, you know, it's you that you're taking. And until you can find that way to get what you want and give value into the world in a way that brings it back to you again, I just think that you're only ever changing your surroundings and not really how you're feeling about them. Yeah. So what advice, this kind of brings this thought to my mind, what advice would you give to people that are out there listening if they're feeling like this career isn't exactly what they thought it would be and they're struggling with those kind of thoughts and they're just not sure how to approach it? Like how do they either change their mindset or, or work on themselves. You know, I'm all about personal development. What kind of advice would you give somebody um, kind of as a, a starting point? Cause this could be, you know, we could talk about this for 10 podcasts and I, and I want to, I think that it would be fun, but you know, just starting out advice, like what would be the first thing you would tell them to do or the second thing? I think realistically, I'm genuinely passionate about the first thing people should really start to be doing is understanding first, why are you in the situation you're in now? So trying to understand how much of that is mindset, how much of that is circumstance, what things are conflicting and what isn't working. So maybe that is you're trying to be a mum working full time and that just constantly conflicts with your values because you feel like you're doing both badly. So, you know, what are those things that are really kind of grating on you? And the way to work that out is you can rarely do it by yourself. You have to talk to people you trust. You have to talk to people who are going to be honest with you call you on your bullshit a little bit I don't know if we're allowed to swear on US podcasts absolutely <laughs> um but you know you really do need to start from a place of exactly as I kind of said how much of you are you bringing to this situation versus how much of it is circumstance but then the second part is the complete opposite end of that which is your vision creating your vision of if I was to have any life I wanted in 10 years from now what would it be? You know, if that old saying of, you know, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And I think if we start from that place of blue sky, you know, like I said, it's never going to look exactly like that in 10 years time. But by really getting this vision in our head of what would the perfect life look like, we can start to go, well, what are the components of that that are making that so appealing to me? And how could I make a roadmap to get me to that 
place. And again, a lot of that takes some really kind of in-depth exploring. And, you know, that's why coaches like you and I exist um, to help people really kind of be clear on their vision and then find the, the definitive real steps. Because don't get me wrong, I'm talking a lot about visions and values. I am a doer. <laughs> I am practical science. Next step, please. What's the action? Get me there. Right. I did not sort of achieve the things I've achieved by kind of envisioning my life. Right. But I do think that having that vision helps you work out what's important to you. Um, you know, and one of the ways that I started doing it was, you know, the old Venn diagram of what do you enjoy? What are you good at? And what will someone pay you to do right. <laughs> at the yeah. end of the day? Right. Um, and I like to add a fourth one, you know, which some of the diagrams do, which is what brings value to the world. Because I think that most of us as vets, that is really important to us is what's, um, what, what is the world getting out of what we're waking up every morning to do? Yeah. One of the things that got us started, right? I think mm-hmm. yeah, as much as we say we are in it for the animals, I think we want to help the world. And in our direction might be the animals, but it ends up helping people. You know, mm-hmm. so much of our job is about adding value to people's lives because that's what their pets do for them or their livestock or whatever it is that, you, that you're treating as a veterinarian. Yeah. And I think it's even more than that. It's not, you know, for me, it's not so much about helping just, you know, if you can keep their pet healthy, then you can help them with, you know, all the flow on effects that their animal provides. For me, it's more about, you know, even some of the coaching and some of the training that I do is around, you know, we make this assumption that because we tell people the right thing to do, they'll do it because they know the right thing. Why we, aren't they doing it? We think it? that's our job to make them do it. I, well, I say that we, all the time to my team. It's like, look, all you can do is offer them the best and offer them the advice. You can't make them take it. And then you can't yeah, get wrapped I, up in the fact that they don't. I guess my sort of view on that is, is, is a little bit nuanced in that I have a real big passion for human behavior change. And so it's this kind of element of, you know, you can, uh, when I put myself through uni teaching aerobics and being a personal trainer, I know like the back of my hand, how I should do a nutrition and exercise plan for myself. I know that I should eat better and exercise more. <laughs> don't we all, Guess right? What? I don't do it. Exactly. Right? If it was that easy that just knowing the information got me to do it, then the world would just make sense. But Everyone frankly, would be perfect, right? Exactly. <laughs> we are people and we are flawed and we are full of interesting, interesting conundrums internally, which I find fascinating. And I try really hard to help other people find fascinating. But for me, it's that same. We sort of tell people, well, you should desex your pet or you should microchip or you should give these antibiotics until the whole course is gone or you shouldn't give antibiotics because your dog just has a virus. Whatever those conversations are we think that because we've told them the right thing that they're gonna do it it makes them a horrible person (laughs) or that they're an idiot or whatever that that is that our our anger on the day is making us feel and actually no we're just we're just people Mm -hmm. and just human behavior right mm -hmm. and if people made good choices all the time things would be very different we wouldn't have a job right (laughs) exactly (laughs) Talk about about a boring job. I know. Well, at the end of the day, 
I think that you can find interest in anything. Yeah. If you're willing to go looking for those nuances. And I think is is for every time that we find people frustrating, if we could just flip that around to go, gosh, that's interesting why they would choose not to do that thing. <laughs> You know, I think that then it becomes a little bit like an interesting medical case, doesn't it? Yeah. It becomes I a wonder puzzle. Why. <laughs> I wonder why they did that. That's so fascinating. <laughs> Rather than that guy's an idiot. Yep. Yeah. And just flipping your mindset around can make some of those traditionally frustrating conversations just that little bit less entertaining I think it's entertaining I love that that's the word when it's frustrating well that's an entertaining conversation yeah yeah I I I learned something out of that I don't know what I learned exactly but I did find it interesting that's amazing that's so funny oh so that's good advice though I really think that it is you know getting that roadmap getting that direction and then being open to change you know, that's, yeah. Open to change is hard. You know, a lot, you'd know this yourself. You do a lot of coaching with people and they want you to give them the answers and they want you to give them the, when, how do I make my boss better? Or how do I fix my workplace? Or how do I fix the industry? And you have to be really harsh with some people, most people, which is no, no, your boss isn't the problem. (laughs) Your boss might actually be a horrible human being. It's probably unlikely since somewhere along the line he chose to be a vet too. Right. But it doesn't actually matter what he is like. You are in your own way. Right. And until you can acknowledge that that what you just said to me there, you are the problem. Your boss isn't and the career isn't. And people really struggle with this and people really want it to be an external problem. And like I said at the beginning, I I genuinely believe there are massive flaws in the industry that I'm really proactive about trying to find solutions for. But 80% of it is, is right here with us. And, you know, people really struggle with that. They come to you because they want you to fix their problems. They want there to be an answer that doesn't require them changing. Yeah. And that, that is fascinating. Cause that was something that surprised me so much when I became a coach is, you know, the fact that people will want coaching, but then when they get it and, and then the focus starts to turn on them, they, they resist that they're like, well, mm-hmm. that's not, I want you to tell me what to do about my employees, mm-hmm. or I want <laughs> you to tell me what to do about, you know, I don't have enough employees. And it's like, well, it, it is what it is. And now we have to figure out how to make you work within that, that mm-hmm. uh, circumstance of constraint or that you, you need to figure yourself out first before you yeah. can try to change other people. And it, that it was the most fascinating thing to me. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I find it fascinating in the same way that the previous conversation about other people you know if you could just find it interesting rather than frustrating that people don't do what you think they should do yeah if you could take that same interest in your own mindset and go oh that why am I resisting this so much you know (laughs) why am I finding this so frustrating because 99% of the time there's this tiny little voice inside you going no, that's hard. <laughs> that sounds hard. Right. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do hard things. That's that's the way Not we're mental wired. hard work. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. want to avoid that at all costs. And you know, and which is interesting for such smart, academic, scientifically minded people 
Um, but we want there to be a puzzle to which there is a solution we can fix. And fixing things, you know, and I'm not even saying fixing things, that's the wrong word, but, you know, reframing how things are going on for us um, sounds a lot harder than mm -hmm. just well, and we, we want like the industry not broken. Well, and we want life to be good and perfect all the time, and it just isn't. And I think one of the things that I, I try to convey to people is that you have to expect the good and the bad, and you have to almost want the good and the bad so you can appreciate the good. You know, if you never didn't have a baby, like you're, you don't have children, you're going to appreciate that baby so much because there was the absence. And then, you know, you're, you worked so hard to get this baby. And when it comes, it's, it's going to be really a lot of good nights and a lot of bad nights. And, and you're just going to try to appreciate every minute because you worked so hard to get here. And I think that's what people forget is we worked so hard to become veterinarians we vet school was not for weenies, as I always say. And <laughs> then, you know, you get out and you expect it to be easy. And why would we expect that? No. One of my, in my favorite sort of TED talks is um, about, about happiness effectively. And, and they, they do a lot of these studies around, you know, happiness in various countries around the world. And we all know that Scandinavia does very well and all of these sorts of things. But one of the sort of nuances of happiness is around the difference between how we experience happiness in the now versus when you ask somebody, did you live a happy life or was that thing historically happy? And so, you know, there's this concept of the experiencing self and the remembering self. So the experiencing self who's you in it right now dealing with it. And then the remembering self is the you who's looking back on that experience, be that that day or that month or your whole life, whatever that looks like. And, you know, the, the example they like to give you is that if, if you could choose any holiday you wanted, if you were given $20,000 to go on just any holiday, dream holiday, choose, would you choose the same holiday if you knew that your memory was going to be erased immediately afterwards. Hmm. So for a lot of us, $20,000 holiday, fantastic. Maybe I'm going to go, you know, do the African safari. Maybe I'm going to climb the Inca Trail. Maybe I'm going to, you know, do the Himalayas, whatever that is, which is a lot of hard work in order for you to, in the moment, be in quite physical agony quite a lot of the time, yeah. but have these memories that are so epic that you can carry them with you for your life. Right. Now, if you were given the choice of a holiday again, but that you would forget it instantly, a huge proportion of us would in fact choose to lay on a beach in the sunshine somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and the same is true of having children. And, you know, right now in the moment, in the middle of the night, when I'm rocking back and forth, crying my eyes out because I can't make the child sleep, I could wish for a different life. But then you're remembering self-looking back on even the, that, the fourth trimester or the first year or the 20 years or their whole life, you'd never trade it for the world, would you? Right. The memories no. you've got out of it. And so what about our careers? There are days in the middle of the day where you, frankly, you do want to punch somebody <laughs> or frankly, you want to sit down and rock back and forth in the corner in the tea room because there are really, really hard moments 
But what we want to create is an experience where when we look back on the week or the month or the lifetime, the remembering self has happiness because you created value and you got back value. And that is that is the most important thing because moments in your life are always going to suck nothing worth having comes easy but if you can create a remembering self happiness then you've won at life yeah that's great i love that well that's a really good place to end i think that's an awesome awesome thing for you to say i really do want you to be back again i would love to do more podcasts with you i think that um, many of the things you have to say um, align very well we have very similar attitudes towards the veterinary profession and i really think getting some solutions out there to people is is important and i think you can you do bring very much to the table and i want to hear more about all of your experiences that you've been through (laughs) Well, again, I'm not going to lie. I've had a lot of happy experiencing self moments as well as remembering self. And that was, you know, again, I just created that for myself because I could and because never in the history of a career has there been a career than right now where we have so much choice and so much power about what we want to do with our careers and what we can demand because frankly, the industry really kind of needs us. Oh yes. There's so many opportunities now. Exactly. There's Mm -hmm. so much opportunity right here, right now in the middle of a crisis to build it back up from the bottom up. It's the same with, you know, COVID which ripped apart people's business models. And then, so you've got some businesses still sitting there going, or how do we go back to the old way? And then you've got these businesses that are rocking it, which have gone, "Mm, well, let's run with this. This is new. This is different. (laughs) And I think that, you know, what a lot of people are describing is the crisis of the veterinary industry right now of attrition. We could take that crisis. And if we, as the little people chose, how do we want to rebuild it back up again? Yeah. Because it's broken. You know, we, we could create something entirely different. Well, and constantly talking about the crisis isn't helpful. I mean, I I think we need to acknowledge it, but to constantly just talk about all the negativity and, Mm -hmm. you know, all the bad things that are happening isn't, isn't helpful, you know, rather than looking at all the opportunity that there is, you know, and the demand, the demand here is so high for veterinarians. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the salaries can only go up and the um, work balance can only go up because we can really do whatever we want and demand whatever we want right now because it's such a open open season for us I could not agree more I think you know we we have you know I I don't want to say power to hold over people's heads because that makes (laughs) it sound a little bit sort of manipulative yeah but we are in a position to say how the industry needs to adapt and we need to take responsibility for having that say Yeah, absolutely do. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really have enjoyed our conversation and I hope to have more. My pleasure. There's so so much much that I still need to know about your business and your life and really want to get to know you. I think you're fascinating. So thank thank you. you so much for being with me and I appreciate everybody listening to the podcast today. I hope you all have a beautiful, inspired week. And look up um, Dr. Moore Jones. Is that how you 
address yourself, look up her website and go check out her coaching business. It's Unleashed Coaching and Consulting. Do you want to tell them the, the website address? Is that it? Sure. It's, it's unleashedconsulting.com.au because I am all the way at the other end of the planet. Yes. For you and I want to hear about that too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I hope you'll come back. Fantastic. I hope so too. All right. Have a beautiful week, everyone. Bye. Bye, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely to chat. <laughs>